on Rise Firm in 60 Minutes. It's a pleasure to have you before 10 minutes, that is, to 8. And, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier on the program, I'll be joined this evening by speakers who are experts and pioneering the research that is ongoing at the Kruger National Park. And now I bring in Professor Michelle uh, Miller. Uh, she's also... You know, a professor there at the South African Research Chairs in Animal uh, TB, and she's, uh, you know, she's working side by side with the her team, I suppose, from the Stellenbosch University in the Faculty of Medicine and Health Science. Prof, a very good evening to you. Thank you so much for taking a call. I'm thrilled to uh, be joining you this evening and and talk about uh, the work we do. Yes, you know, Prof. You know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, earlier before we went on air that, you know, you were scared that, you know, this conversation might not be ongoing simply because of load shedding. But how much of, you know, the inconsistency of electricity then tends to affect the work that you guys do in the park? Uh, That's a great question. Um, I think because we do uh, a lot of our work and a lot of collaborations with other researchers, and in fact, I work remotely. I'm based here in Skakuza with the Veterinary Wildlife Services Unit, and my research team is in Cape Town, that um, when we have load shedding and the cell phone signal or the Internet goes out, it really hampers the the communications and the collaborations we have with Mm. Um, trying to coordinate, um, you know, uh, our activities and movement of samples and getting results back to the people that, that need them. Yeah. You know, Doc, I suppose, Prof, in, 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 in 2016, I was just, uh, you know, just now chatting to uh, Dr. Peter's, uh, I suppose, Peter Pass. He was mentioning that in 2016, you know, you know, in the park, it was reported that, you know, an animal was found having, you know, human uh, TB in your view, how did that, you know, elephant in, in, in the Kruger National Park contact that human strain of TB? That's, again, one of the big questions that we have as well. So it was actually um, my research team that uh, helped with that uh, examination of the animal and collected the samples and identified, again, that it was, in fact, human uh, TB. We, we all believe that if we ever found TB in an elephant, it would be the cattle strain, and we assumed that when we looked at it, but then when we did all the molecular testing, we were very surprised to find that it was human. Um, human TB in animals, particularly elephants in zoos, it's not particularly uncommon for them to get human TB. And that's usually because they're in close contact with people um, that are infected. And in that case, we didn't expect that a wild African elephant would have close, prolonged exposure to an infected human. So then we start to think about possibly that elephant going into maybe some of the tourist areas or the staff areas or even outside the park where there might be um, food or other material that might be contaminated from humans mm. that they picked up. Mm. And so it's, it's difficult to say, but um, the strain that we looked at actually is a strain that's commonly found in 
Nimpopo and Mpumalanga in human TB patients. So, mm. so we know it came from this area. But then does that mean that, you know, humans have the similar, you know, genetic makeup to that of elephants? Not really. Um, tuberculosis is um, a bacteria ancient, and they've even found evidence of um, TB in mammoths um, from 14,000 years ago. So this has been around for a very long time. And even 2,000 years ago, in some of the ancient uh, um, uh, writings, they have described a disease that looked like tuberculosis in Asian elephants. So we think it's a fairly new disease introduced to African animals, but, um, you know, we... It's one of those those pathogens that that seems to be able to evolve a little bit faster than than the other uh, animals and human species that mm. it infects. So it's always a little bit ahead of the curve, and it can infect a large number of different species, not just mammals, but even um, things like birds and uh, aquatic animals. Mm. Bumalang, in case you just joined to the conversation, the professor for the South African Research Chairs in Animal TB, uh, Prof. Uh, Michelle Miller, is my guest this evening. We're looking at some of the work that is currently being done at the Kruger National Park and, you know, in various other fields that, you know, the prof has been in, just examining animal TB. Now, prof, if animal, uh, I suppose, if elephants can contract the human strain of TB, can human contract, you know, uh, the you know, the Banavine TB, and also what are some of the impacts of that into the tourism sector? That's a wonderful question because, in fact, um, the the bovine form or the cattle form of TB has been, again, around in humans for centuries. And before we started doing things like pasteurizing milk, um, that bovine form of TB was was fairly common. About 20% of the um, TB cases in humans were caused by that cattle form of TB. Um, That is much less today, although it's still a big concern in developing countries um, where we don't really always, when a a person, a patient um, gets diagnosed, we don't always know which form of TB. We assume it's a human form of TB, but again, because of our closer interactions with animals, especially in um, rural areas, it could be the bovine form of TB, and that form of TB is actually harder to treat than the human form of TB in in humans and animals. Mm. Upon the research that you have, you know, been ongoing at the park. Have you found any other animals that have died or got sick with TB other than that one of 2016? Uh, At this point, we've found evidence of the cattle form of TB in two other elephants that did not die of that, but were infected. And we're continuing to do research to look for the presence of that bacteria because one of the questions we have uh, just like you asked, is where the animals getting TB, especially the human TB, could it be from the environment that gets contaminated? Um, and if that's the case, 
obviously all of the animals here in the park are potentially susceptible mm. to being infected. So that includes things like rhinos, lions, um, the different types of antelope, warthogs, right down to the mongoose and more, uh, other small mammals. Mm. You know, Doc, when you look at, uh, I mean, sorry, Prof, you know, when you look at the, the, the TP treatment in humans and, you know, how it's done, Normally, it's over six-month period under the supervision of humans. And, you know, how would the treatment be administered in the wild? And is it even treated? Uh, again, really excellent question. Um, we can treat uh, selected cases in animals, but it requires um, special permission because tuberculosis in animals is a controlled disease, which means that people, the uh, regulatory officials in the Department of Animal that has TB, because it can be a potential source of transmission or spread to humans. And so generally it's not recommended to treat animals in very selective cases we do. However, it requires very long intensive treatment. And just like in humans, we use the same combination of multiple drugs that have to be administered every day. And generally, that treatment is even longer. It's usually between a year and a year and a half. So it's not practical to do in a wild animal um, unless it were to be confined. It would take very special circumstances. So more importantly, rather than identifying infected animals and treating individuals, what we're trying to do is understand uh, the disease, the source of the disease, how it spreads, and then in populations um, that don't have TB, we want to protect them from moving animals from sources that might be infected. So we want to develop tests to screen animals that might be going into those populations to protect them and, and prevent this from, from occurring. Uh, Professor Michelle Miller is my guest this evening. We're looking into animal TB and the great research that is currently being done at the Kruger National Park. Now, Prof, what sort of protective measures do you have in place to protect yourselves and your team from being infected, you know, as you conduct the tests? Well, again, great question. Um, generally, when we work with uh, specimens or samples um, and we're trying to culture them and we're working with live bacteria, we do that in a, in a biosafety laboratory that's called a BSL-3, and that um, requires us to wear full protective um, suits, gloves, and even uh, respirators. And it's in a special laboratory with um, filters for the ventilation and things like that. We can work with samples um, that are otherwise killed, that contain killed bacteria without those extensive measures. But um, out in the field, of course, one of the, the greatest things is that the environment itself helps protect us. We have um, good ventilation. We have UV from the sun. We have, you know, drying. And, of course, we wear masks and gloves and use um, the proper kind of um, uh, 
safety measures in terms of handling the the materials and things. Mm. Maybe let's look at the possible dangers then that TP strains tends to have on the other species when they cross over. Talk us through there, Prof. What sort of danger does it then expose the other species when these TP strains cross over to them? Well, we, we certainly know that um, TB, the cattle form of TB in livestock, so goats, uh, cattle, and that is the same form that gets into our buffaloes, that can cause a chronic infection that can lead to weight loss and just loss of condition, and eventually the animals do um, die of, of TB. Mm. Um, in wild animals... Oftentimes, those animals become a little bit weaker. They're lagging behind. And so in the case of buffalo, for instance, they may be more susceptible to predators before they actually die of the disease. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, for predators like lions um, and, and wild dogs that eat infected prey, they themselves can become infected, mm. and that can lead to infections, again, both in the, the lungs, but also in the bones and other organs, and very similar, it can be a chronic disease that eventually causes them to be debilitated and not be able to hunt. Mm. Prof, before I let you go, you know, at this stage of your research, what are you able to disclose, and you know, what sort of other quests and also research processes you know, are still ongoing in answering some of the questions that are there? Well, I think um, just like the disease itself, uh, TB research can be very slow, but we've made some significant progress uh, over the last, especially decade, in first of all, identifying species that, that can become infected and then looking at does that infection actually cause disease or can those animals, if they are otherwise in good condition, um, be able to potentially limit the, the infection um, or maybe even clear it if their immune system is working? And that's really important because it doesn't uniformly um, cause disease or death. And what we want to do is understand how we can provide the right kind of environment so um you know as stress-free as possible and you know our concern is with climate change how is that going to affect the immune systems of animals and will it make them susceptible to diseases not just tb but other diseases um, that can threaten the survival of the population so we we think of it as a bigger impact on what's happening at the population. We know it can impact an individual, but the question is if that individual can stay healthy long enough to reproduce, um, it may not really have a serious impact on the population. Mm -hmm. So those kind of studies often take decades for us to really completely understand, but I think we're, we're slowly making progress. Yeah. Prof, I know I said it was the last question, but I suppose, you know, looking at the work and, you know, the way you've described the work that is ongoing at the park, you know, are private funders or, you know, private players willing to fund such, you know, such research and process? You know, 
it, work in wildlife is always um, uh, a little bit lower on the, the scale in terms of funding for research compared to things such as diseases in humans and also in economically important um, species like livestock. So the, the funding is, is scarce, but we have been able to um, acquire some international grants. We have some grants through the, uh, you know, National Research Foundation here in South Africa and a number of other private individuals that have provided donations to help us with this research um, to keep it going because it is it is expensive to do um, and we, you know, the the team is limited, of course, by by uh, how much funding we can get to to do the work. But I think that as we create awareness, we're also getting um, the opportunity to collaborate and acquire more funding. Prof, really appreciate talking to you this evening, and it's a pleasure for you to come and divulge some you know such great information that is coming through there from the park. And I wish you nothing but great success. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate uh, the time you've taken to talk with me. Really appreciate, Prof. There.